Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Week 1 Wide Receiver Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditson. Today, going through the projected shadow matchups for Week 1. Some key matchup notes and then get to my Week 1 rankings. Go over some injuries and all that goodness along the way. I've already recorded and published the QB and running back editions. And you best believe tight end is up next. So, hoping that these shorter podcasts, a little more digestible for you guys during the season and able to just, you know, help make your fantasy football team as good as possible. That is always the goal after all. So great day to be great as always. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get after it. So first things first with the shadow matchups, I'm talking about when a team has their cornerback could be number one, number two cornerback specifically travel with one wide receiver throughout at least half of the game. Now, this is not something that happens all the time. Scheme. Uh, prevents a lot of coaches from even trying it sometimes corners aren't good enough sometimes the other team doesn't have a wide receiver that the defense deems worth concerning themselves with so generally my rule of thumb is to start your studs because with these shadow matchups even something like Jalen Ramsey shutting down Justin Jefferson last year which hey when they matched off he did it was a shadow um, game it was over 50 percent of the routes and in Jalen Ramsey's specific coverage Justin Jefferson only had three catches for 25 yards now, in the whole game, he had eight catches for 116 yards. There's another instance a couple years ago where Josh Norman actually shut out OBJ on their routes when they were against each other, but OBJ went for over 100 yards just working out of the slot where Norman wouldn't come. So really can't stress enough with a lot of this matchups. They're a great tiebreaker. If you have you know your wide receiver 22 versus the wide receiver 19 and you just really think the wide receiver 22 is in a better spot, Okay, you know, but let's not be benching Stefan Diggs because we're a little bit worried about the wide receiver fantasy points allowed on the other side. So with that said, there are a handful of shadow matchups this week that should be a good time to tune into. First up, Philadelphia Eagles wide receiver 8J Brown versus Detroit Lions cornerback Amani Aruwarie. I think I actually kind of know that pronunciation. That's a rare one for me, but Aru Wari. Okay. Yeah. Second time's not going to be a charm. Anyway, Amani did a good job on T Higgins and Allen Robinson last year. Got toasted by Justin Jefferson, but who doesn't at the end of the day, I think it's a neutral matchup that doesn't warrant a downgrade or an upgrade for AJB. I'm just going to be really interested to see really in uh, this matchup. If we're going to see the Eagles really start to airing out, air things out more, or if it's going to be more run heavy, because if they don't really put their, you know, pedal to the metal in the passing game, it's going to be tough for each of AJB, Goddard, and Devontae Smith to ball out every single week. Is it going to be more like San Francisco where we're going to have these weekly volume concerns? Or is Jalen Hurts going to start throwing the ball a lot more and all of a sudden Devontae Smith is in this category? We'll find out more next week. Two more shadow matchups here. Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson, if he's healthy, still dealing with the shoulder issue versus Cincinnati Bengals cornerback Chidobia Wuzier. And on the other hand, I think George Pickens, guys, is going to get to roast up on Eli Apple. So last year, Eli tracked Chase Claypool, but that was when Claypool was actually on the outside. Now Claypool is being set up to be their starting slot receiver. George Pickens should be the guy that gets to toast on Eli Apple. So I think that warrants an upgrade. And yeah, if you're going to tie break and throw Pickens in that flex, I 
certainly don't blame you. He's firmly in that wide receiver four tier as it is. And again, can't say enough good things about that matchup. I would say, though, if Deontay gets ruled out, the volume advantage for Pickens is going to be enough to offset the matchup. But in that case, without Deontay, I would think a woozy would be the one that ends up tracking Pickens instead. Cleveland Browns wide receiver Amari Cooper versus Carolina Panthers cornerback Dante Jackson wasn't terrible in shadow matchups against Brandon Cooks, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Smith last season. I'm more so fading Cooper in general and in week one this year because of the Jacoby Brissett experience. This could really be a run first offense. I just think Coop's going to have a hard time from both a volume and efficiency standpoint. Houston Texans wide receiver Brandon Cook should see a ton of Indianapolis Colts cornerback Stephon Gilmore. That's right. Gilmore is on the Colts. Don't forget everyone. Now the Colts really didn't shadow last year, but the new defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley actually utilized this league high 10 occasions throughout the season with the Raiders. So I think it makes sense, makes sense to do the same thing with Gilmore. I think Cooks warrants a small downgrade in this matchup. Two more here, both in the Cowboys-Buccaneers game. I do think CeeDee Lamb is going to see a ton of Tampa Bay Buccaneers cornerback Carlton Davis, famous for just shutting out Michael Thomas, you know, for basically all of 2020. But looking at Davis last year, was it good? Not great. You know, Stephon Diggs, DJ Moore had seven catch games. Marquez Callaway went for over 100 yards, but that was more of a banged up version of Davis. I don't think it's like a great matchup for CD, but there's going to be so much volume on hand. I'm certainly not downgrading the guy. Get him in starting lineups of all shapes and sizes, just like Mike Evans, who should see a lot of Trayvon Diggs. So last year, we're working with the best data we got, okay? PFF tracks all these shadow matchups. We have been for five-plus years. We did not deem Mike Evans and Trayvon Diggs to be a specific shadow matchup last year. Next-gen stats did. Either way, Diggs was a big part of the Cowboys' defense that helped Mike Evans to just, I think it was three catches for 24 yards. Now, Antonio Brown, Chris Goblin, those guys are putting up big numbers throughout the game. Gronk had two touchdowns. I just think that this is not pure Trayvon Diggs slander, but – if we have Mike Evans against anyone, he just had 115 yards and a touchdown against Jalen Ramsey. Like you need to start Mike Evans, particularly if Chris Godwin isn't going to suit up, not a given, but like, what are we doing here? So this is what I mean with the shadow matchups. Even if you want to argue Cowboys fans like Trayvon Diggs shut down Mike Evans, come on, we're not putting Mike Evans anywhere near that bench. So I do think this is a slight uptick. Trayvon Diggs, the interceptions are worth so much in the grand scheme of things that I don't want to overly penalize the guy for it. At the end of the day, he did give up a league high 1,016 yards into his direct coverage. So in fantasy purposes, when we're playing a wide receiver, we don't care when a ball's intercepted. It's not ideal because it stops the drive and everything, but the wide receiver doesn't necessarily, he doesn't lose fantasy points because the ball got picked off. I think Evans is going to have more than enough volume, particularly in the early parts of the season where Goblin could be limited to make up for any sort of iffy matchup. And with that said, last year in six shadow appearances, Trayvon Diggs did shut out Terry McLaurin. Got a little bit of help from an injury there. But otherwise, guys, Deshaun Jackson had over 100 yards and a touchdown. Keenan Allen's had over 100 yards. And DJ Moore had 100-plus yards and two touchdowns in his own right. So real quickly, some key cornerbacks I did not mention who I don't think are going to shadow because of the following reasons, because I know you're sitting there saying, what about this? What about that? J.C. Jackson, new Chargers cornerback, isn't expecting to suit up with that ankle injury. So all wheels up for Devontae Adams. You know, again, some we were starting regardless, but particularly without Jackson in there, Adams, man, you really can't rank him high enough this week. I don't think Jalen Ramsey is going to track Stephon Diggs one-on-one all over the field. He did not do it when they met in week three, 2020. And really last season, they only reserved Ramsey for certain matchups and pure shadow covers. They really like leaving him in the slot when possible. So things could change maybe in 2020 that that was, you know, shortly after Diggs got on the bills, maybe they weren't quite sure what was going on yet, but I don't think it's going to be an every snap thing by any stretch with Ramsey and Diggs. 
Tredavious White's still on the pup. So Darius Slay and James Bradbury, two primary outside corners. So I think that's going to free up a Monroe St. Brown in the slot. Maybe Slay slides inside for a handful of snaps, high leverage situations, but it's not going to be an every down thing. Looking at the Dolphins. So week one last year, Byron Jones shadowed Nelson Aguilar, not in week 18. Usually Jones takes the bigger body receiver while Xavier Howard gets kind of the shiftier guy. So if the Patriots do decide, or excuse me, the Dolphins do decide to, uh, Shadow the Patriots, I would say Byron Jones will get Devontae Parker and Xavier Howard will be getting Jacoby Myers or Nelson Aguilar. The Browns, yeah, they'll move Denzel Ward around a little bit, but he's actually only shadowed Deontay Johnson in week 17 last year over the last two seasons. So Ward, fantastic corner. They just don't really use him that way, so we don't have to worry about his impact on one individual receiver as much as in other schemes. Same thing with Falcons cornerback A.J. Terrell. Incredible. He only shattered once all of last season. That was against Justin Jefferson. So maybe the new strategy this year is to use him all the time. I don't think week one against the Saints is going to be that, though. With the Saints, Marshawn Lattimore, he's done it. Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, like it's the the dogs, the dogs of all dogs, you know, uh, out there. He will track them. I don't think Drake London or Kyle Pitts gets that treatment in week one, though. Ravens cornerback Marlon Humphrey only shadowed Jamar Chase last year, gave up over 200 yards and a score. I do not think he's going to do that. And the Ravens really, whenever they've had their secondary pretty much fully healthy, they usually do refrain from shadowing. Don't think the Jaguars are going to have Shaquille Griffin track Terry McLaurin, but we'll know more about Mike Caldwell's new look defense by week two. The Packers have not had Jair Alexander shadow since week seven, 2020. Maybe Jair all of a sudden shadows Justin Jefferson, but man, you actually go back and watch some of those Packers Vikings games. Adam Thielen has been the real thorn in the side of Jair Alexander over the years. So I think Jair Alexander is going to stick to his side, be excellent at it and not follow one specific receiver, especially if Jefferson is going to get more of that Cooper cup role. Everybody keeps talking about and lines up more so in the slot. And finally, Broncos cornerback Patrick Sertan did not shadow in 2021, although maybe the new staff has him, you know, just go follow DK Metcalf or even Tyler Lockett all over the field. If either, I would expect Sertan to get Metcalf, but I do think the answer is probably going to be no for week one. So with all those shadow matchups out of the way, let's get in some key questions ahead of week one, looking a little more specifically at the, you know, players and matchups here. So major riser over the last few weeks, I think it's got to be Michael Thomas, guys. Like the hamstring was a problem, but just just getting the good news on the ankle injury. Like we didn't even know really as late as July if Michael Thomas was going to be suiting up this year. It was so little information throughout the entire offseason. And to see Michael Thomas, who still 29 years old, not, not spring chicken, but not exactly, you know, Adam Thielen elderly aged just yet to see him really now lining up to be Jameis Winston's number one target right here in week one. I think we could see booms in a hurry, man. He is my wide receiver 20 on the week. And I get it. AJ Terrell. He is awesome. He was incredible last year. And they were still a bottom eight defensive fantasy points per game allowed to opposing wide receivers. So we talked in the quarterback preview about how Jameis should have all day to throw just based on the pressure rates at hand. I could see Michael Thomas, you know, having a y'all must have forgot week early here in week one. Major faller over the past few weeks is going to be Traylon Burks. I think it's going to be Robert Woods, Nick Westbrook, Akini, and two wide receiver sets for the Titans. And it could very well be Traylon Burks rotating with Kyle Phillips. So do not put Burks anywhere near your starting lineup until we have confirmation that he's playing even half of the offensive snaps at this point. 
got to love our PFF wide receiver cornerback matchup tool. We actually give ratings for every single matchup just based on the projected coverage and how good each player is. So, you know, an incredible wide receiver versus an average cornerback could have a better grade than, you know, an average wide receiver versus a bad cornerback. So five different categories, excellent, good, average, below average, or poor. We have five excellent matchups this week. A.J. Brown against the Lions with a 100.0 matchup rating. I mentioned before, Amani isn't a scrub by any stretch of the imagination. It's more so just AJB being an absolute baller. Devontae Adams versus the Chargers, 99.2 rating. Gotta love not having JC Jackson in that equation as well. Debo Samuel versus the Bears. We all remember what he did in them last year. 93.1 rating. Keep an eye on that weather, seeing a lot of precipitation, although when's usually what we care more about. Tyreek Hill versus the Patriots, 89.5 rating, and Cooper Cup versus the Bills, 87.7 rating. So I don't think any huge surprises there. Those are guys that are being forced in the lineups pretty much regardless, but still good to see. I mean, out of all these wide receivers, only five got that excellent rating. Many more did get porous ratings. So again, this is going to be sections I think more useful later in the year when we have current PFF grades and information to go off of, particularly with the coverages being thrown around. With that said, a little bit of a grain of salt with this one because the rookies don't have their definitive NFL grades yet. With that said, Wandale Robinson, Josh Palmer, Nico Collins, KJ Osborne, Alec Pierce, Robbie Anderson, Drake London, Chris Olave, Jahan Dotson, and Jalen Tolbert all stand out as guys that have poor matchups ahead of week one. My streamer of the week, Arizona Cardinals wide receiver, Ron Dale Moore. You guys hear me a lot. I feel like I'm pretty tuned in to everything that goes on fantasy NFL. I really try to be. I missed something that happened about five days ago, probably because I was in Scottsdale drinking far too many Millers. Anyway, Antoine Wesley hitting the IR with that groin injury. Cliff Kingsbury now pretty much doesn't have a choice but to start Rondale Moore. The worst case scenario where Rondale Moore was not going to play early on was A.J. Green on the outside, Antoine Wesley on the outside, Marquise Brown the slot, and Rondale again working as a gadget guy. Ooh, we're getting the PFF Lily background bark here. That's good news for Rondale more people. But really, when um you look a little bit closer at this now, taking Antoine Wesley out of the occasion, Rondale Moore, he's dealing with the undisclosed injury, but he was healthy enough to practice on Monday. When he started week off with the practice, I mean, I'm just feeling pretty good about that. And now we have Cliff Kingsbury saying all oh, offseason that Rondale is going to be taking Christian Kirk's job. Who's, who's going to keep Rondale Moore off the field? Andy Isabella, who Cliff Kingsbury has clearly shown us he's never going to play him. At this point, it should be A.J. Green, Marquise Brown, and Rondale Moore in the slot in a potential shootout against the Chiefs. I am perfectly fine playing Rondale Moore over guys. Man, I don't – the George Pickens call is so close. Like, that's the one that's killing me with Rondale Moore. I think they're right there in the same equation. If we can confirm that Eli Apple matchup, like, this is what I'm talking about with the matchups here. Like, okay, Rondale Moore, my wide receiver, 47. My first run at my rankings, I had uh, George Pickens. I opened up my season-long ones. First run at my rankings, I had Pickens just a couple spots behind Rondale. With that said, if we want to go tee off on Eli Apple instead, I totally get that. That's a reasonable time to use that matchup tiebreaker to your advantage. But either way, Rondale Moore, someone I'm starting ahead of, Chase Claypool, Kadarius Tony, until we have more information about you know his exact role. Jacoby Myers, Jalen Tolbert, Jahan Dotson, much more. It's Kyler Murray's starting slot receiver, guys, and there's potential for a lot more. So I am happy to be ahead of the curve on Rondale Moore. 
streamer of next week, just a guy that I think you could add to your roster today and feel pretty good about starting sooner rather than later. It's going to be Isaiah McKenzie, two sleepers that we've been talking about most of the offseason. So the same kind of stuff, the same reasons why we've been hyping up McKenzie for weeks also apply now. Would note that he was not listed on the Bills final injury report with the groin injury. So he is all wheels go for Thursday night football against the Bills. He's my wide receiver 46 on the week. I would start him ahead of Rondale Moore just because we already know that McKenzie is fully good to go again not listed on the injury report i do think rondale is going to play but i'll feel a lot better once we know he's not listed on the injury report that won't happen until friday though looking at week one like who will be this year sammy Watkins, you know in terms of putting together a huge week one waiver wire darling and then doesn't do anything the rest of the year my pick sammy Watkins. Okay, injuries that we need to be looking after. Uh, I'm recording this at 5 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, so fully understand there's updates throughout the week, seemingly every minute of every single day. That's why I will be back on Friday with my boy Nick Bodyford talking all things injuries for you guys and giving you the final updates. But for now, some things to keep an eye on. Van Jefferson has been ruled out for the Rams. Ben Skrullneck and Tutu Atwell should be in three wide receiver sets now. Rotating, it's obviously still the Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson show. Chris Godwin practiced in full on Wednesday. He was wearing that no, non-contact jersey before, so really does seem like he has a chance to suit up. If Godwin's out there, it's going to be really bad news. I mean, relatively bad news for Julio and Russell Gage. If we see Godwin actually confirmed out, all of a sudden Gage and uh, Julio Jones are going to be in that wide receiver three conversation. With that said, Gage was actually limited himself with the hamstring injury. So keep an eye on that Buccaneers wide receiver room. I think we're all pretty, pretty confident. You know, we can't agree on much in the fantasy industry, but I think Tom Brady putting up big time passing numbers in this offense. Everyone seems to be okay with that. Deontay Johnson dealing with a shoulder injury, I believe. I saw a note about a knee, but he was limited in practice and kind of just gave one of those answers where he said he's going to try to do everything he can to be out there. Again, could be a situation where Chase Claypool, George Pickens, all of a sudden their week one target projections are a lot higher without Deontay Johnson in the fold. Jacoby Myers limited with a knee injury. Patriots do this all the time, though. They're probably going to list 20 guys as questionable on Friday, and every single one could freaking play. So it's a grain of salt for now, but Jacoby might not be 100%. And he did have that issue in the preseason that knocked him out uh, earlier. So it might not be, might you know, it could be something. With that said, at least he was limited and, you know, not, not getting a DMP to start the week. Mentioned before, Michael Thomas practicing with the hamstring. Coach Dennis Allen did say we'll see. I think all signs point towards Michael Thomas playing this week. Michael Gallup was at practice with the knee. Don't think he'll play this week, but he is someone that actually could be in the fold sooner rather than later. If someone left Michael Gallup undrafted in your guys' league, pick him up. He's just a discounted version of Chris Godwin. Doesn't have the same ceiling, and that's why he's you know discounted. That's why he's a discounted version. But guys, once Michael Gallup's healthy and out there, no more Cooper in this offense. Like he's gonna be vying for you know seven to ten targets on probably an every week basis. Alan Lazard got stepped on last week. That was the undisclosed injury going on there. Did not practice on Wednesday. I guess it's, I mean, on the one hand, it's pretty bad. He was a DMP. On the other hand, he got stepped on. So it's not like a terrible injury, I guess. Kind of tough to read here. Either way, I would be ready to have someone else ready to go in that wide receiver spot if Lazard is ultimately going to be shaping up as a game time decision. Also, Jalen Waddle limited with the leg injury. Not thinking that's going to prevent him from being out there, though. He has at least been practicing this week. So that is good. Talked already about the Cardinals situation as well as Isaiah McKenzie. Uh, just some quick ones. T. Higgins with the shoulder injury returned to practice Monday, fully expecting to have his usual reps. K.J. Hamler should be good to go, guys. Like already week one, uh, number three receiver for Russ. 
obviously I'm not really recommending to start him in season long right away, but for you DFS showdowners, he's, you know, always that always got that one hitter quitter mentality out there as Russ's potential new favorite field stretcher. With no Jamison Williams for the first four weeks of the year, looking at a Monroe, St. Brown, DJ Chark, and Josh Reynolds in three wide receiver sets for the Lions. Also with the Packers, need to keep an eye on Christian Watson with that knee injury. Maybe he has a chance to actually get out there and make some noise early. Ultimately, I do think it's going to be Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Sandy Watkins, Randall Cobb, and Amari Rogers probably canceling each other out to an extent. I just wouldn't be surprised if Rogers goes off and the guy with the most targets has like seven or eight. So right now, I'm staying away from these Packers wide receivers just for one week, not necessarily in DFS, but redraft. We're not confident enough about the pecking order at the moment. With John Mechie on IR, we are going to see Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins work as the Texans' top two receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster says knee injury was minor and confirmed he's 100% ahead of week one. Him and Marquez Valdez-Scantling are the two Chiefs receivers we can feel confident firing up. Drake London practiced on Wednesday with that knee injury. Uh, head coach Arthur Smith did say the Falcons won't know his stats until the end of the week. He does seem to be trending towards playing, though. Interesting in New York. So Sterling Shepard's back from the Achilles injury. Love science. This is insane now how Achilles injuries and ACLs are just guys overcoming it ASAP Rocky. But Kadarius Tony with the leg was practicing, but just kind of been hobbled throughout the offseason. So we're looking at potentially Shepard, Tony, Wandale Robinson, and Kenny Galladay all factoring in. You sure would like to think Galladay is going to be the odd man out, but you know, Giants still do have 72 million reasons why they should hope he works out and figures something out. Right now, Tony's the only guy I'm even looking to start even then. He's more of a weak flex. Obviously, the upside, if we get that role we're hoping for, though, is huge. With the Patriots, Tyquan Thornton being on IR with that collarbone injury, I think three wide receiver sets, guys, is going to be Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, and Nelson Aguilar. Based on everything we read about in training camp, Kendrick Bourne really might be the odd man out. So keep an eye on that. But yeah, for right now, Jacoby and Devontae Parker, probably the only two Patriots wide receivers worth throwing a dart at. Talked about Michael Thomas, talked about Chris Godwin, and talked about Deontay Johnson. So a few more things before I get to some rankings notes. My bull call of the week is that Amon Ross St. Brown picks up right where he left off and catches 10 passes here. So it just really is incredible looking at what he did the final six weeks of last year. I know DeAndre Swift was out. TJ Hawkinson was out. But come on, PPR wide receiver 6, 26, 6, 6, 2, and 9. I am starting Amon Ross St. Brown over a handful of guys that I don't know, people, other people aren't. Well, you know, I don't care. I want volume and Amon Ross St. Brown is going to have all of it in a fantastic matchup. This is the other part of it. So Darius Slay, James Bradbury, awesome. Chauncey Gardner Johnson's playing safety. It's a good overall defense for Philly. They can be exposed by slot receivers. So Avante Maddox is once again the Eagles starting nickelback and bad band. Bad nickelback here, honestly, as well. When you look at what the Eagles did last year, explosive pass play rate to wide receivers aligned from the slot, 30th. Yards per attempt to wide receivers aligned from the slot, 26th. QB rating allowed, 30th. So truly one of the league's worst defense against slot receivers last year. Now gets to deal with Amon Ross St. Brown in week one. So I'm starting Amon Ross over Michael Thomas, Deontay Johnson, Allen Robinson, and Jalen Waddle, among other guys. He's my wide receiver, 19 on the week. My pissed off call of the week, something I think that's just going to annoy fantasy managers is that the Packers rotate all of their receivers pretty evenly, rendering each as high-risk fantasy plays moving forward. I wouldn't be surprised if none of these wide receivers basically have a route rate like above 60-70%. It's going to make things very difficult moving forward for everyone in this offense other than probably the running backs and maybe Aaron Rodgers. 
Um, looking at another just guess I have for the week, the deep ball guess of the week. I'm going to try and nail uh, one guy every single week that reels in a long ball. This week, it's going to be Marquise Brown. Talked a lot about Rondale more earlier, but what about Hollywood last year? So only caught five of his 30 targets. Now, only nine of them were considered catchable. And we look at Kyler, number two among 42 quarterbacks and adjusted completion rate on passes thrown at least 20 yards downfield. That is quite the upgrade over Lamar Jackson, who ranked 24th in that category. So this isn't Lamar slander. I've seen the highlights of Marquise, you know, dropping several of those deep balls, particularly in that Lions game. My goodness. But I do think in this early part of the season, all the good stuff we love about Rondale Moore also applies to Marquise Brown in a potential shootout against the Chiefs. So Marquise Brown comes in this week as my wide receiver 11. There's no reason why, unless your team is just completely loaded, like we shouldn't be having these start-sit uh, questions at hand, but I would start Marquise Brown ahead of guys like A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, T. Higgins, Cortland Sutton. If it's coming to that, though, like your team's in great freaking shape and maybe consider you know elevating yourself from the four-team format that you're currently in. So got through most of the matchups. Real quickly now on my week one ranking. So you can also find these in my wide receiver article also on pff.com and in our lovely new PFF app, PFF plus membership still free until the beginning of the season. And we're going to have some pretty cool shit each and every week. So don't be afraid to make a play and go get that PFF sub. But again, start your studs. Okay. Don't let perceived tough matchup result in a major start sit decision. I talked about Ron, the overs pickings. That's fair. Now, if it was George Pickens versus freaking Amon Ross St. Brown, no. George Pickens versus even DK Metcalf, no. We're taking the guy that's ranked 20 spots ahead of him. We're not making that big of a freaking move because of one perceived good matchup. It's just way too random. Our ability to just discern what's going on with the coverages, with defenses, it's not good enough to be able to make those decisions. But Michael Pittman, top 10 wide receiver for me ahead of week one. Smash spot against Texans, reigning bottom 10 defense and PPR points per game. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Ryan has himself a streamer quality week. I got a question before. What if you're lucky enough to have both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the same team? Start both Keenan Allen and Mike Williams on the same team. In that case, coming off a season in which each were top 12 wide receivers, I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Herbert manages to get that done again. I will be prioritizing more clear-cut number one receivers like DJ Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Terry McLaurin over number two options and better offenses like Gabriel Davis, Allen Robinson, and Jalen Waddle. Again, if you have a lot of these guys on your team, I really hope that you're not having to sit someone like Gabe Davis, Allen Robinson in the first place. If you do, it's a pretty good problem to have. I would take the volume uh, advantage, though, because as much as the quarterback play might be better with those other receivers, I'll take the volume when I think the talent of the actual wide receivers is actually pretty equal. Adam Thielen, someone that I really think should try to be squeezed in the starting lineups of all shapes and sizes this week. He only comes in as my wide receiver 29. I feel like I should probably quit being a coward about it and knock him up there a little bit. Very well might do that as the week progresses. But just looking at what he's done on the field over the past two years, guys, only Devontae Adams and Mike Evans have more receiving touchdowns than Adam Thielen over the past two years. Do you hear that? Only Devontae Adams and Mike Evans. Two wide receivers have more receiving touchdowns than Adam Thielen over the past two seasons. Even with Justin Jefferson having arguably the best two seasons stretch to a career ever, that's what Thielen's been doing too. And Adam Thielen with nine 
actually has more top eight fantasy finishes than Justin Jefferson since 2020. So why did I pick top eight fantasy finishes? Because it's, it, proves my point and i'm just you know building up uh to this uh to this so no i'm not ranking Thielen ahead of justin jefferson but really whenever he is healthy enough to be on the field like you drafted adam Thielen to play him early in the season don't be afraid to play him against the green bay packers even with jair alexander maybe lining up on him for half of the snaps talked about chris goblin guys if he's practicing in full unless we get a clear report todd bowl says hey we're happy he's here. We know it's a long season. We're going to ease him into things. If, if Todd Bowles says that, I'm plummeting Goblin down to wide receiver five territory. He will not be a recommended start. If Todd Bowles says, hey, Chris Goblin's healthy. He, he nailed his recovery every step of the way. We're unleashing him. He's ready to go. Okay, in that case, which I'm assuming right now, Chris Goblin will be my wide receiver 33. I would start him ahead of guys like Drake London, who is banged up himself, Christian Kirk, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Smith, Amari Cooper, Lazard, Lockett, Woods, Ayuk, MVS, and much more. I would still play guys like Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Juju, Thielen, Mooney, Cooks ahead of Chris Goblin at that point, just because, hey, he might not be, he's probably not going to be himself at least for a few weeks, but if he's getting that role, he might not need to be afraid he's going to pepper him. Seems irresponsible for them to do that that's why he's wide receiver 33 but guys this is again one of those reasons why we've been really ramping up the goblin and now michael gallup interest throughout draft season if we see chris goblin go out there run 80 percent of the routes you know get nine ten targets he's gonna be right up in the upside wide receiver two territory if not wide receiver one territory with mike evans as early as week two potentially so a little bit unlikely but you can imagine some quick thoughts on wide receivers I've ranked outside the top 36. Uh, I do think there's a chance Devontae Smith could have a similar, you know, ascension if we see the Eagles just air the air the hell out of the ball. Like they're playing the Lions this week. And if the run game just becomes a backseat in the offense, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith might have enough volume to just ball the hell out. Don't discount what Devontae could do with, you know, a hefty target share. Tyra Lockett largely cast aside, but why couldn't Tyler Lockett continue to be the boomer bust wide receiver that we've just seen him be for large parts of his career? He's probably going to have more pass game volume than he's used to because the Seahawks are going to be forced to play behind Geno Smith, even though mainstream media refuses to address it, has actually been throwing a good football over the past two years. And I mean, if you guys heard my rant about this already on the draft that I did with Dwayne yesterday, it's just, I hate the revisionist history going on with Tyler Lockett. This guy's been awesome for half a decade, and I don't want to pretend like it was only Russell Wilson uh, causing that. So Tyler Lockett, I still think, you know, if he's someone out there on the waiver wire, you're going to pinch. He still has boom upside, even though unfortunately Russ isn't throwing those boom balls to him anymore. With Brandon Ayuk, similar to Devontae Smith, if we get evidence that this is not going to be one of the league's most run-heavy offenses, I could certainly see that disparity shrinking up between him and Debo Samuel moving forward. Also, Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Juju. Right now, Juju really getting the benefit of the doubt. Don't be surprised if we get some week one findings that has MVS actually coming up and making this much more of a battle. Um, in terms of looking at long shots to put up a big-time week one performance ranked outside my top 48, Kandarius Tony, George Pickens, and Russell Gage are those guys. Gage a little bit lesser, though, due to that hamstring injury he's currently dealing with. Um, once again, planning on waiting on what the Packers are going to do before I really dip my toes in those wide receivers. And finally, just some guys that maybe you could put on your bench because they're number three wide receivers, just one injury away from being on the cover of the week two waiver wire article. Tyler Boyd, Isaiah McKenzie, George Pickens, and Chase Claypool, KJ Osborne, Russell Gage, and Julio Jones, Josh Palmer, and KJ Hamler. So, 
that's going to wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Going to have these quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end breakdowns all season long. Also going to have a matchups stream with Kevin Cole on Thursday. Friday going to be doing injuries with Nick. Sunday night, Mr. Dwayne McFarlane back. I know some of you have seen the news already. Dwayne getting an awesome opportunity. Uh, I'm not going to I'm, I'm, I'm going to let him talk about it. So it's uh, one of those things that I'm not trying to uh deceive you guys or anything just uh it's been a long uh been a long process figuring a lot of things out so happy for my guy though and uh you know i couldn't think of a better person uh, to get a great opportunity like that so still gonna have Dwayne here every sunday night and we'll talk a little bit more this sunday night about what exactly is going on there we're gonna be reviewing the games then coming back tuesday with my guy nathan yonke talking waivers and then we're back to wednesday doing the positional stuff so again everyone i'm in Let's see. I'm going to have to set lineups in about 20 fantasy leagues every single week this year. I am trying to win each and every one of those. This is the work I need to, I feel like I need to do in order to be my best self and prepared. Luckily, this is my full time job. So I am just doing everything in my power. So if you want to listen, read, pay attention to what I'm saying, that you'll be in the upper 1% of the world trying to win your fantasy football leagues. That's my goal to you. And, you know, if you think I'm failing that, let me know how and we'll watch the film and get better. So long ending rant aside you know again thank you for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast and until next time take care everybody